for joining us at Off The Clock, brought to you by the team at Tompkins Wake. I'm your host, Catherine Bryant, Special Counsel in charge of Knowledge Management. Join us as we offer guidance on and insight into topical issues on law and business today. So as part of our Practical Business series, we're talking about how to strengthen business resilience when times are tough. Today, we're talking about strategic planning and marketing to help your business weather volatile economic conditions. I'm joined by Mark Lowndes, Special Counsel at Tompkins Wake and ranked by Best Lawyers as the top lawyer for technology in Auckland, and Rob McDonald, who's an expert in business and strategic planning, previously named Deloitte's top CFO of the year. He's a former CFO for Air New Zealand. He's now the Chair of Contact Energy and on the board of Fletcher Building. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. I guess when we're talking about strategic planning, before we can start planning how we're going to respond to risks or difficult economic conditions, we need to think about what those risks are, don't we, Rob? We do. And if we just think about the risks that are out there now, they've evolved and changed quite rapidly. So I guess the biggest topic, particularly in the boardroom, is at the moment around inflation and certainly rising interest rates are coming into the picture as well. Disrupted supply chain has been there for some time, but you know doesn't seem to want to go away quickly. Talent shortage, particularly in technology, is very much at the fore, and a lot of that hopefully will maybe start to resolve as the uh, borders get more open. And then I think one that just permeates the board rooms and companies generally is cybersecurity. So, you know, if I thought about, you know, what are the big risks out there, that those are the sort of things I'd have there. Really coming out of both inflation and interest rates is this sort of looming discussion or talk about the threat of recession. Yeah, that's certainly something on everybody's lips at the moment, isn't it? So if we start off looking at, you know, inflation and interest rates and the possibility that we could be looking at a recession, What are things that businesses should be thinking about or doing in this environment? You know, if I just focus firstly on inflation and interest rates, because one of the good things, I guess, of recent months is we are starting to see the border open. So we're seeing a a little bit of normality come back in that sense. But uh, it's fair to say there's been a lot of money spent during COVID and worldwide that's coming home to roost in the in the form of both interest rates and inflation. I think when we think about inflation, we haven't seen inflation like this for 40 years. For Mark and I, we can remember that long. We, we do have careers that go back that far. And I always lament my first mortgage when I bought my first house was 18% first mortgage and 23% second mortgage. People find that hard to believe and, and I can't imagine we'll go back there Certainly, reserve banks are much quicker to uh, react to inflation now. But if you're sitting there as a business trying to think about what's that mean for the business and looming, it really is looking at how that's going to impact your cost base. And that certainly starts with if um, employees and staff are a big part of that, that can uh, come to the fore quite quickly and you're seeing wage settlements through New Zealand now at a, at a much higher level than we've seen in recent years. So you want a good picture of where the cost pressures are in your business. Equally, I think as you think about your products that you're selling, your services you're selling, 
it's nice not to be contributing to inflation, but if it's coming to you, you need to be able to react to it and and see where you can move your prices to compensate the business as well. And that also comes interest rates. So as the reserve banks are moving and, and pushing interest rates, we're seeing, a, you know, for reasonably leveraged businesses, that's getting to be something you've really got to start to focus on and, you know, being a little closer to the banks as those stresses started to emerge. I think one of the big things to deal with volatilities like this is to scenario play. And I think in, in businesses to model different possibilities around movements and have assumptions that really stress the business. And out of that, ask a lot of questions as to how would we cope with that? How would we react with that? Does that cause you know a fundamental financial stress that how do we look? Do we go look for capital? All those sort of things. Do we reduce the size of the business? That said, I mean, there's always opportunities as well. So you you want to use that scenario playing as to is there opportunities and thinking about your your marketplace, your competitors as well. So that scenario modeling in my mind is quite important and it's probably more focused on the uh, downside. I think that sort of approach also then starts to cope a bit with the recession aspect that we've got to start thinking about. I think is, you know, we've haven't seen anything in sort of a serious recession since the Great Recession in 2008 and 9 and certainly the reaction to cut interest rates and stimulate economies had quite big bounce backs uh, around the world quite quickly. I don't think that scope's there. There'll be a continuation. So we have quite a volatile mix, you know, with inflation rising and interest rates rising, asset values now tapering off, potentially going backwards. So it is quite a challenging environment. It's important for businesses to understand what it means for them, what it looks like. And I think that's where I come back to, you know, scenario playing is mm. is very important. Because when we look back even 10 years, you know, interest rates 10 years ago were still higher than they are now. So it's quite possible that they're going to keep going up. And so you're saying that businesses should think about how would they cope if interest rates continue to rise and other costs? Yeah, and quite quickly mm. as well. I think um, as you've seen, you know, quite quickly so far this year and potentially quite quickly for the yeah, rest of the year. Certainly been very quick increases, hasn't it? So if we start looking at, you know, supply chain obviously was an issue throughout COVID with the borders closed and it being much harder to get things, you know, into the country. But we're still seeing a lot of issues with supply chain, particularly, you know, in the building industry. Construction is is hurting a lot there. How can businesses deal with that issue or how can they, you know, plan for it? I think with supply chain and things like building industry, what you're seeing is much less fixed price bidding. If you're a contractor or a constructor or whatever, you just can't take all the risk anymore. Mm. It's just too uncertain. As we look forward, there's no doubt, you know, there's there's more inflation in construction and the labour component of that is quite difficult given that there's not quite the fluid movement of uh, workers across the border that there was before. So it is a very, very difficult environment. Yeah, there's certainly, now that the borders are open, there's workers leaving New Zealand, but we uh, we don't really have them coming back in yet, do we? 
That's right, yeah. And that's that's not just uh, at a lower level with, say, service workers in the hotels or it's at every level of the workforce, you know, whether it's accountants that, you know, typically in big firms and accountants and, and law firms as well, you know, after three or four years you're qualified and then you move offshore. That had, didn't happen for a couple of years. It's happening in force now, but not the other way back. And that, that's a real problem for many industries. And would you agree with that, Mark, that issues with attracting talent are getting more difficult for employers at the moment? I think so, but there are some strategies available to try and address that. I guess what COVID has taught us all is you don't have to be in the same office to work. You don't have to be in the same country to work. Well, you and I know about that, don't we, Mark? We do. (laughs) So a different way of looking at it now is instead of, I suppose, the offshoring, which is the Philippines and India and so on, that's a particular aspect. But really now the staff you need um, for a lot of businesses can be living anywhere. So that opens up the work, available workforce, even if in New Zealand we are becoming more restricted. Mm. And so maybe that's something that, you know, businesses where remote work is a possibility can look at is that maybe you can have New Zealanders who want to live elsewhere but can still work for you or people who aren't ready to make the move or can't get in. What do you think about that? Have you seen an increase, a big increase in, in companies staying with remote work or do you have you seen more of them wanting employees. Absolutely. And uh, Contact Energy, in fact, is a bit of a market leader in in flexible working. Our office footprints are coming down quite rapidly. And and given the company itself is spread over New Zealand with different generation sites. Um, So if I look at many of the businesses involved with, some are more physical, more manufacturing. There's no real choice. Certainly the office environment has changed markedly and we're certainly seeing uh, that sort of Monday, Friday move and where people are tending to work from home. Many companies got different ways of approaching it, but you know how, how flexible working evolves. I think if you sit at a board though, one of the things you're really starting to focus on now it's the office environment people feel safer in and can come to work is what does it mean for learning? What does it mean for engagement? What does it mean for culture? Mm. And all those things are going to be watched, I think, over the coming years. And I think um, learning is, is a big issue. Uh, so much learning occurs face-to-face in an office in a very informal way. And particularly for whether it's perhaps a law firm or an accounting firm, as people come up through the ranks, so much of that is done in a way that's face-to-face sort of and out of clients and things like that. So we'll see it evolve, but my personal view is we'll see an evolvement back to an office where people feel more comfortable to come to, uh, but there will be requirements to come for certain events. And usually the word event, it could be a a leadership meeting, it could be a training session, it could be a a meeting a client or something like that. I think there will be a desire to get more into the office through a number of industries. Um, But will we ever go back to pre-COVID? I don't think so. I think 
technology has moved off on so well. It was quite remarkable in my mind what the involvement of a Zoom, you know, I didn't know what Zoom was before COVID. Teams was a bit, you know, it wasn't that flash. And suddenly there are remarkable things which um, have really changed the way that, you know, both board meetings and executive meetings and just face-to-face with individuals work. It's, it's just advanced the engagement from a telephone call to a face-to-face. But it's not the same as being in a room together. We had a, a meeting recently and someone overseas set it up as a conference call and none of us could remember how to do that. Apparently you can <laughs> dial a phone number and we all finally got connected and they were all talking over each other because you can't see who's about to speak. <laughs> yes, we're certainly uh, it's in a different world now than it was a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, and the other thing I've noticed, um, you know, I had a board meeting yesterday at one of my companies and I hadn't been there for a year and there were still people who weren't comfortable to come and, and equally there were people who always dial them from Hong Kong. But the, everywhere I've gone lately, the technology, the screen sizes, everything now is just dialed in beautifully such that that hybrid meeting has improved quite a lot as well. And that's what I've been hearing a lot of is not so much companies talking about fully remote, but talking about that hybrid model where you still get some of that face-to-face time and that learning time, which for, you know, younger people or or people who are more junior in their careers is so important. But keeping that flexibility to, you know, work remotely a couple of days a week or when it suits you or if you have something come up. And I think that that flexibility is going to be really important for employers as they look to retain and attract staff. Do you agree with that, Mark? I do. I think that for all the reasons we've seen, if one is a desirable employee, you can set quite a lot of your own rules as to how you want to work. Yeah. So I think another risk that is pre-COVID but very alive and well is just technological disruption. And I guess what COVID has shown is how adept we are at changing our behaviours when the right technology comes along. So I think the recent drop in crypto coin value has probably distracted people from the fact that crypto, Web3, blockchain, it's here to stay in like all these technologies, how it changes and when it gets implemented is less certain. But having a bank will be an optional thing. Having an insurance company will be an optional thing at some point. Even in my field of law, just recently in the States, they got a court order to serve an injunction by NFT. Who knew? AI obviously will affect law, how quickly and how much yet to be known. And you look at a company like Soul Machine of digital people who can, you can have a computer talking to 3,000 customers in 12 languages simultaneously. So um, that's a huge disruption. Obviously, food tech, growing fish and meat in the laboratory, um, using CRISPR to edit the um, genetic code of plants so that plants can be improved much more quickly. One that really interests me is the Mowbray family and their Zuru tech manufacturing where they will be building houses without people, all by robot. So a bit like ordering a Tesla, you go online, choose the features you want. There'll be a million designs. You can choose which one suits you, press a button, and uh, the robots will start building it for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think there's probably not many industries that can say that technology isn't uh, obviously an opportunity for many, but but, uh, also a threat for others. And I think that when we're working, it's really important that we don't get so focused on working, you know, 
in the business, that we're not working on the business and looking around at what's going to change for your business and your industry as, you know, technology develops or as economic conditions change. And that's really sort of what we're talking about with strategic planning, isn't it? It's not just what's happening right in front of you and right now, but looking at what are the possibilities in the future and how can we, well, how can we come up with scenarios and, and respond to those? I think in that arena, the last couple of years have probably forced us to stretch our imagination as to what could happen. If you do a risk analysis, what might be on that? And I guess what I'm thinking is it's more about saying, looking at each component of your business and saying, well, what if that can't happen? You know, what if you can't travel? What if you can't go to the factory? What if you can't go to the office? What if you can't get your inputs in a timely manner without limiting yourself by thinking, well, how might that have happened? Because we've learned crazy things can happen that just are virtually unimaginable. Yes, I don't think very many people uh, three years ago would have predicted the last two years and how those have worked and just how certain things that we thought were constants or no longer constants. I've been drafting force majeure clauses for a long time and talking of war and pestilence and epidemics and pandemics and sort of just a bit of fun to try and think of new words. But uh, look at them now and half of these events are actually happening. Yes, yes, it's certainly, yeah, living through a force majeure clause. So what about cybersecurity? I mean, obviously that's been an issue for a long time and it's not an issue that's going to go away. What are things that we can do to improve, you know, resilience and protection around cybersecurity and to protect our businesses? One, I just give a perspective, probably from a larger company perspective. I think all the companies... I'm involved with, we will have a cybersecurity dashboard and that'll have things like, you know, emails that have been blocked and a whole lot of other statistics and things. But as a director, you're sort of looking for things like where's our you know, patching, is that up to date? Where's our uh, password set up? Is, you know, are we, most people are heading to multi-factor now, that's important. Have we got strong education programs amongst our staff to, you know, spot phishing and, and things like that. So you, you can do all those sort of things, but inevitably over somewhere in your career or whatever as a director, you'll, you'll get hacked. The important thing there in my mind is the company's thought about it, you're prepared for it, and you've got a playbook. And the playbook's sort of split in two halves in my mind. One is the technical bit, and that's what do we do now, what, how have we set ourselves up and what's actually happened? So it could be a DDoS attack, it could be a hack at a ransomware. And then there's a governance part of that playbook as well. And so the important thing there is what are the structures of how the company will deal with, say, a ransomware attack. And then part of that comes down to actually having you know, it'll depend on your size, but you, you probably want to know who you go to. And certainly on a technical side, that's, you know, there's lots of people there. But at a sort of governance level, you want relationships with specialists who deal day-to-day -day with things like ransomware. There are law firms that do that. And equally, there are other private firms that deal with how you get a better understanding of what the threat is you're dealing with. You know, that, in my mind, is sort of you want to be prepared and assume it's going to happen, and what do you do? And it'll never happen the way you think it 
it won't be as you laid out in your playbook. But having thought about it, maybe having a simulation around it as well, just gets everyone in the mindset. And a larger company perspective, that's quite important. I don't know, Mark, maybe you know you comment on a, in a medium, smaller environment. Yes, I mean, it will happen. And um, I agree with you completely. I think of it a bit like a secure storage facility. I was had the privilege of being shown around and they had something like seven layers of defence starting off with a truck driving through the front of the building through to if some people did get in, there were strobe lights and deafening noise that would have the perpetrators on the floor crying. Um, and then further security, further security, three lots of communication tools to make sure that the alarm could get out, the alarm signal could get out. So I think, it's, as I agree with Rob, it's just a very multifaceted response and uh, with an overlay of insurance on top for, you know, as an extra protection. So when we're talking about, you know, the strategic planning and building in protections for dealing with interest rate rises or inflation or supply chain shortages or cybersecurity, we also need to talk about, well, how do we take those key stakeholders along with us? You know, our employees, our shareholders, you know, our senior management. So why is it important to take those people with you to get them invested in the strategic planning? And what are some ways to do that? You know, if we just think about the strategic planning process and, you know, it'll vary depending on your size. To me, it is a process about thinking about the world as it could change. Everyone likes change until it happens to me. But, you know, some of the things... I think the strategic planning process, and often it is an annual event, but nevertheless, it's it has got to address that what we talked about before, which is things that could change around you. That's often a threat, but it's also an opportunity. And so, having that scan of the world—when I say the world, I mean the world of that business and its products and what its opportunities are—is incredibly important. I think in strategic planning or planning there, you really want that component of innovation and looking at, you know, what's our product extensions here? What's the new things we could do? And that's an annual event. It doesn't need to be them. It can be a much more frequent thing. And I think innovation and whether that's with technology, whether that's in a more scientific way or a product way, if you can embed it and make it continuous, then I think that becomes a really powerful thing for a business to address, you know, threats, but because it's always got an opportunity in front of it. Now, Mark, you are the uh, acknowledged king of marketing here at Tonkins Wake, and you've, uh, you know, built two very successful law firms, and uh, I know that I often come to you for marketing tips. So I just want to talk a bit about brand resilience. So how do we build a brand that, you know, people will trust and that is going to last even when times are tough? I think just following on from what Rob was saying, in a bit like cyber attack, things will go wrong in a business. You will let your customers down for some reason, hopefully outside your control. So the first thing and some of the things Rob's been talking about is, you know, how do you respond? Do you have a playbook in place, making sure that you're authentic and transparent and all those things. But there's a starting point before the thing goes wrong, which is how is your brand? Is it is it a resilient brand? Which I guess you could define as how will it 
withstand the external pressures through difficult times. And these days, if something does go wrong, the brand quickly gets under extreme pressure with social media and commentary and so on. The problem gets amplified very quickly. So I guess brand resilience is about having built the relationships into your community and with customers where there is some trust, where there's some loyalty, some forgiveness. I mean, just an example of that with consumer brands, the studies show that the brands that invite feedback and reviews and suggestions and even complaints and publish those just build a style of brand that does create loyalty and does have that um, resilience to get through a problem less scathed than having, not having that loyalty. I think ESG too is now, and purpose is now becoming a thing for the reputation of a brand. And if the company in the business is known for doing purposeful things and making a purposeful contribution, again, it's creating a, a strength of loyalty to um, help get through problems that may arise. Let's talk about, you know, when we're marketing. Sometimes that, you know, when we're really busy, that goes by the wayside. And it's not till business slows down that we suddenly think, oh, time to do some marketing. But why is it so important to make the time for marketing even when we're busy? Well, my main experience, of course, is law. And, you know, marketing law is not really a thing. You, you build relationships. That's the main way I know how to bring more work in. But that takes months, years. I've got a couple of examples where it's taken me over 15 years to get my first instruction from someone I was wanting to build a relationship with. So logically, you don't wait till the uh, revenue's down and you're twiddling your thumbs at the desk to start drumming up some more legal work. How that relates to other businesses, I'm less sure, but I, I imagine to a large extent there are similar forces at work. Well, I think that, you know, with any brand now, we're we're talking about building relationships with customers and that taking the time to build the relationship is important and you can't wait till you're busy and look desperate and that's not the way to attract people or customers, is it? Well, I think certainly back to services, the client can see that that is not very authentic. If you're suddenly rushing in and have tons of time to talk to them and offering all sorts of services, it doesn't it wouldn't feel very authentic. Mm. Whereas if we take the time or we make the time to talk to people, even when we're busy, we can show that we genuinely care about their business and how we can help them. Well, thank you, Rob, Mark, for joining me. So obviously when we're talking about how to future-proof your business, that the more we can think about these things and take the time to look at potential risks and how we can deal with them, the better shape your business is going to be in when it hits those troubled waters. So thank you for joining us. We're off the clock. We're off the clock.